Emmanuel Macron said there was no place in French society for divisions along religious lines. The biggest threat to France's values and secular law, he said, was radical Islam. This is what is happening. This is a state of authoritarianism. This is very little to do with Muslims. Ces droits de l'homme qui ont été pensés, voulus créer en France, je considère que c'est notre vocation de les protéger et de protéger aussi la souveraineté du peuple français. Welcome to PR Unmasked. I'm Mudassa Ahmed, managing partner at Unitas Communications, and I will be your host. Following President Emmanuel Macron's response to recent attacks on French civilians, the spotlight has again fallen on French Muslims. But this is nothing new for Europe's largest Muslim community. In a post-colonial France, the complexities of Muslim identity and history are often overlooked and misunderstood. So today I sat down with a panel of experts to explore Islam in France. In this episode, we will discuss intricacies of migration for early French Muslims, the manifestation of anti-Muslim sentiment in the media, and the appropriate response for Muslims moving forward, not only in France, but also in the West. Let me just start by introducing uh, Miriam Franca. Miriam Franca is a British-French journalist, broadcaster, and academic on issues related to Islam in France. She's a research associate at the Center for Islamic Studies at SOAS, and she's also the founder of the podcast, We Need to Talk About Whiteness. We also have Dr. Melissa Hafaf, who is a program director at the Gender Justice Initiative, which is based in Georgetown University. She's also a professor there, and she has over a decade of experience in higher education. Also joining us from Paris is Yasser Lauti, a human rights activist, civil liberties activist based in Paris. His work focuses on Islamophobia. He's head of the Justice and Liberties for All Committee and host of the podcast, Lib Breakdown. Well, I'm glad that we have such esteemed um, experts from all over the world joining us this evening. And I've been asked to give some introductory remarks. Well, I mean, it is an incredibly concerning situation we have in France, which of course, has the largest Muslim population in Europe. And it's something that we've seen emerging as an issue over many years now. For those of us that live in Britain and in the United States, it's often very difficult to understand the nuances of what's happening on the ground. But one thing has become very clear. French Muslim voices are increasingly vocal about the way that they feel. And it's an untenable situation in the sense that they're feeling marginalized. They're feeling their voice is not heard and they're feeling the state is, is, is unnecessarily targeting them. External voices are now beginning to add to the conversation by calling the measures that the state has taken to be unjust. Now, Amnesty International recently called out France on its treatment of Muslim minorities, and in particular, the way that it's treating Muslim NGOs in France. Of course, the Islamic world, leaders from the Islamic world, whether it's President Erdogan or Pakistan's Prime Minister Imran Khan have been very vocal about the stance the French state has taken on these issues. And of course, French Muslims themselves are incredibly alarmed. And those of us that are part of the Western Muslim Ummah, if you like, are watching this whole situation unfold and are not able to make heads or tails of it. That's why MPAC decided to convene this panel and hear from the experts on the ground. Now that you've heard my unconstructed thoughts on the topic, I am going to hand you over to your host for the rest of the evening, my dear friend, Salam al-Mariyati, who of course is the founder and president of MPAC. Over to you, Salam. 
thank you for uh, bringing uh, these wonderful people together. This is uh, to us an important issue, not just for the situation in France, but I believe for all Muslim communities throughout the West. We have been struggling for decades, if not uh, over a century, in um, gaining our right to be defined the way we want to be defined as Muslims in the West, as Western Muslims. And I believe that the idea of a Western Muslim identity is still that. It's, it's an idea. It, it, might, it might have traction at, at the granular level where people uh, have good jobs and have good education and have good homes and, and, and have good neighbors. But at the national level in every country, we have that friction and that tension over what it exactly means. And so I'm very glad to have our experts with us uh, to give us uh, a closer look at, at what's happening in France, because in many ways, the Muslims in France are the canaries in the coal mines, if you will, in that uh, in terms of the issue of secularism uh, and how secularism is impacting people's religious lives, uh, as well as the issue of Islam in terms of how Islam uh, can be uh, lived in, in secular life. It's, it's a very, very um, important issue. Let's go to, uh, to Dr. Melissa Hafaf. You know, we, we talk about secularism and, and the need, as Ghada as bin Sheikh was talking about, the need for structural reform. And, and, and this issue of, you know, can secularism adopt to the needs of religious groups today? Religious movements are growing. They're not, go they're not going away. And the problem with European secularism, to my understanding, is that, um, as uh, many people have said, that it, 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 is, it is viewed as anti-religion, whereas in the United States, at least in theory, the idea of secularism is to be neutral on religion. So where do we need to go in terms of structural reform as it relates to religion in these Western societies? What I've been observing uh, in the past uh, years, especially in the past decades, is that uh, in France, as soon as there is a crisis or an attack, all of a sudden we push the far right agenda. Although the far right hasn't been elected in terms of holding the presidency, we saw that under Hollande uh, uh, with uh, socialist right government and uh, particularly Manu Manuel Valls, his prime minister, who has pushed all kinds of measures of destituting dual citizens if they were caught of active, you know, uh, were uh, plotting a terrorist attack or being caught for terrorists for terrorism. Uh, and there's always this sort of specific measures that we do towards the, the, the Muslim community instead of really looking at the roots of the, all of these issues because most of these attacks are being carried out by French citizens. We often talk about Muslims as being somehow outside of that society. And when it comes to national security, I think France is uh, going into making the same mistakes like the United States has made after 9-11 by criminalizing and demonizing the Muslim community, allowing all types of surveillance, attacking the right to of consciousness, the right to organize. And in that sense, the reforms are just, we're just going to add more legislations. Basically, Macron early in October made a speech announcing a new bill that will tackle separatism. But what I was really had a lot of issues with is that he always talked about radical Islam without effort defining it. And then we never talk about white supremacist group and neo-Nazi group who are a real big threat to French society in that sense. So 
I don't know with at least what is happening right now, this current government and the past ones are not really respecting what the universalism is about and what France is supposed to be standing for, the motto of Liberté, Égalité, Fraternité, that we actually, we've never really respected that. Uh, and also we cannot even have these conversations about secularity or laïcité actually, which is really a, a sort of a different framing um, without looking into history and how has France really actually materialized this laïcité uh, under colonialism. Algerian Muslims had a different status. And then we come afterwards, we have Algerians fighting in all these wars in World War One and World War II, and then getting a different type of veteran compensation. So, so many ways in which legally France has not been respecting universalism. And now by tackling that, we are hoping to bring another legislations that are going to limit the civil uh, liberties and freedom of Muslim citizens by never really looking at the cause of the issues because there's a lot of analytical, emotional. Who are these terrorists? Who are the people who are carrying out these attacks? Are we ever talking about mental health? Never. It's always about, oh, okay, now let's send a strong message, whatever that is. And the strong message is always criminalizing the Muslim community. So I'm not sure if I responded to your question, but at least what I see with what the reforms are taking place right now, I think France is probably fooling itself. If it thinks it's going to carry out the same counterterrorism measures and hoping for, because clearly it's not working. It's really not working. <laughs> we keep on having attacks. Uh, I want to go to Yasser uh, Lawati now. Yasser, you know, we hear a lot about how Muslims cannot adapt to mo modernity. And therefore, that is why these governments are instituting national security measures, because Muslims can't resolve the problems themselves. And you have, you know, the, the gruesome attacks in, in France that resulted in beheadings and killings, shootings. So we can't ignore that as a problem. So if, if we're going to say that national security is not going to be the way to deal with this problem, what is the alternative? So uh, first, yes, you will hear a lot about Muslims, but you will not see Muslims speaking for themselves. Uh, as we speak today, just take a look at the media landscape in France. It's Muslims day in, day out, and you wouldn't see them. Maybe once a week, someone would be passed by, and then that's it. So it's again, white-to-white -white conversation. So this again raises a question of the representation of Muslims. And when Muslims became political actors, Let's say, I'm going to be unfair to historians, but let's say about the 1970s, when they began setting up their own uh, collectives, uh, their own unions, Mouvement des Travailleurs Arabes, or the Movement for Arabian uh, Workers, which split off the main uh, union, the CGT, because they did not take racism, police brutality, and racist crimes seriously. And especially after 1983, when they marched, the famous march for equality and against racism, there was a shockwave throughout the country because those people are actually here to stay. And on top of it, they are demanding equality. So they, they are no longer the invisible statistics we hear about, workers unemployment and productivity. Today, they are marching and all the way from the south to the capital. So the reaction was a violent backlash first a book uh, called uh, L'Immigration, Le Choc by Alain de Griotere, which was actually the, the ideological backbone that gave uh, legitimacy to problematize Muslim identity in France. So they cannot integrate, they cannot be assimilated, and therefore they should be treated as such. 
So there was the, commission, the, the, the Marceau Commission in 1987 and a series of measures. So what we see today is, there, is the to total incapacity to accept Muslims, I don't know if I should say as human beings, but at least as parts of the French landscape. It also has to do with the way history is taught. Most historians come from the conservative side, and it's always history being taught through the lenses of a white man leading the nation across the ages, a king, an emperor, etc. Yet the, the minorities that have contributed to free France during the Second World War, for example, to rebuild the country after during the 30 glorious years, and the people who are actually part of this country are not spoken of as equal citizens. So this really raises the question how France identifies itself. And if you listen to some conservative pundits on the media, France is a white Christian country and that Muslims should adapt. And anytime they question the status quo and want to be equal, they are treated as they are asking for privilege. So I heard, for example, that uh, laicity should adapt. I'm completely against it because the 1905 law is good. It's a separation of state and religion. It means the state does not meddle in clerical affairs and minority religions are protected from state interference. What we see in the opposite, and I think Melissa mentioned it, that there was a special status for Algerians in the, during the colonial era, that laicity was passed in 1905. It was applied in continental France, but never in the Muslim colonies to keep Islam under control. And that's exactly what we're seeing today. So on top of constantly putting them in the box of the other, Muslims, anytime they organize, are immediately perceived as a threat in a country where nothing was given to the people without mobilization. This country was built on revolutions, on mass movements, on strikes, on, and on, you know, begging on the door to demand equality and rights, ask women's rights, you know, the, uh, the, what the unions did, what the anarchists did, etc. But when Muslims adhere to this, you know, French contestataire, you know, you know the, 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 which runs in our DNA as we have to face power and calling, out, calling it out, that's problematic. So to something, uh, I know we're gonna have more questions, but to sum things up, uh, Muslims actually today represent three threats. Threats to the national economy. I would say it is soft because the next two are threat to the national identity and to national security. And I think uh, Mudassar mentioned, or Ayyub Salem spoke of France as the uh, canary in the, in the coal mine. Actually, I call France the laboratory of Islamophobia because when you see the way Islamophobia has been made legitimate by the state, that laws can be passed specific, specifically against a minority. The Minister of Interior called Muslim leaders and said, the other religions should not feel targeted by the adjustments we are making against you, which is blatant. So if France is a laboratory of Islamophobia for Europe and maybe also the rest of the world, China and India are using France as an excuse to crack down on Muslims there. Muslims in France are today the barometer of democracy and the rule of law for France. Thank you so much, uh, Yasser. Dr. Marion Francois, if, if, if the laws are there, as Yasser cited the 1905 law on separation of state and religion, then what's the problem? What, what structural reforms or political reforms do we need to be pushing for? I agree with um, Yasser in, in what he was saying that actually, um, I think it's really important to push back against the framing that the French government has put forward of the recent instances uh, of terrorism as somehow being an attack on free speech or secularism. And I'll explain why. 
Um, when we speak about these uh, terrorist attacks, which uh, targeted, uh, you know, in the first case, a teacher, uh, and the second, uh, a basilica, we are talking uh, about individuals whose deaths are being instrumentalized to forward a particular political agenda. Because actually, Charlie Hebdo and its images were in no way shut down uh, because of these attacks, not the ones in 2015, none of the subsequent ones. In fact, in many ways, you could argue that offensive images to Muslims have become part of the institutions of the French Republic in response to these attacks. So I don't buy the argument at all that free speech has been targeted by these attacks, because what we've seen since then is that these images are now taught in schools to very young children, which is a very questionable pedagogical decision. Um, it's also now being, uh, you know, in the aftermath of the most recent attacks, these images were being um, uh, broadcast onto municipal buildings. So this is your local municipality, which is now putting up uh, images of uh, Prophet Muhammad naked, uh, you know, in all sorts of poses. You know, if this is a free speech shut down, I'd love to see what it, what it actually looks when it's completely free. I'd also push back against this construction of there being a problem with uh, laïcité in France. Muslims do not have a problem with laïcité in France. The most recent and the largest study that's been done by the Center of Conflict in Paris looking at attitudes among French Muslims to the Republican values shows that Muslims overall adhere more than the uh, wider community to the institutions of the Republic apart from two areas. You want to know what they are? The first is the police. Okay, and we can come back to that. And the second is the media. And the media, if you have ever watched French media, and I wish somebody would pay me to just translate uh, French evening TV shows because you would get a sense of how horrifically disgusting the conversations are. We have somebody uh, called Eric Zemmour that I would recommend you look up who's been twice convicted of hate speech, who is a regular panelist virtually every single night on TV in France. He is called to offer his expertise on issues to do with Muslims. He's been twice convicted of hate speech against the community. So this is not about free speech. This is not about secularism. This is about the scapegoating of a particular community for political ends. We touched on the uh, Le Pen. Uh, Melissa, of course, spoke about the fact that we don't need Le Pen to come to power for her ideas to become mainstream. That's absolutely the case today. The rhetoric that we hear from certain parts of the French government, speaking of cultural wars, are reflective of the fact that the far right's priorities have now seeped into the mainstream. And if I could make one final point, I really resist the notion that we are dealing with a problem Muslim community. I think we are in France seeing politicians Islamify social and political problems. Can we first talk about who Muslims are? Muslims in France are predominantly uh, working class black and Arab communities in ghettoized suburbs cut off from everything else until a few years ago if you missed the last train into Paris you were stuck and couldn't get home this is how isolated some of these centers which are filled to the brim with buildings that are dilapidated, no jobs, unemployment rates running in the 40%. If you want to look for causes of frustrations, you just have to go into these neighborhoods. You don't have to be Muslim to be frustrated in these neighborhoods. First hotline, my best friend was placed in house arrest 
for several weeks. She lost her job because her employer had to be told that she was being investigated for terrorism charges. This is a McCarthyist environment in which people can literally call up a terrorism hotline, denounce somebody with no evidence and wreck their lives. This is what is happening. This is a state of authoritarianism. This is very little to do with Muslims. Thank you so much. We, we, we understand the, the, the problems and, and quite frankly, what I hear is the racism, uh, institutionalized racism coming from the top of the government from both the left and the right. And, and it's the same in the United States as well. And, and while I disagree with uh, the statement that Islam is in a state of crisis, I do believe that Muslims are in a state of crisis. T t you know, put aside all the, the structural political uh, problems we're facing in the West, we still have an identity crisis as, as, as Muslims in terms of uh, Islam tells us to lead uh, in, in advancing civilization, but we're, we're barely even registering in terms of being in the arena uh, to make an impact. So is there a crisis uh, among Muslims right now? And how can we take a responsible role in leadership uh, in issues such as, you know, what has been articulated in terms of institutionalized racism against uh, our, our communities in France? I don't think that Muslims are in, in crisis, to be honest. As a as Dr. Miriam Francois said earlier, do we know the Muslim French community, we, we never have them. Um, as Yasser was saying earlier, we keep, it's been decades and even more intensified in the past uh, 10 years of having every hour of the day, a show on TV, on the radio, newspaper articles, uh, and those shows and that will have Islam and the Islam as a threat and Muslim as a threat will only have white men who know very little about Islam as a theology, but also just the reality of Muslim, which we also tend to um, conflate a lot. And so you have all this, this sort of media and, and discourse that Muslims are not a part of. And in that sense, when you said in your introductory remarks that we get in those jobs and we get, I think what is happening in the United States and for living here in Washington, DC for a little while now, it's a very different uh, story. Um, and I think the Muslim community in the United States is extremely diverse for many, many reasons. Uh, so I don't wanna get into sort of uh, uh, talking about the American Muslim community as a monolith, but in terms of um, where they're, they're situated in terms of socioeconomics, it's a very different story than France. As Dr. Francois was mentioning earlier, we're talking about overlapping discrimination. It's access to education, it's housing, it's employment, and social economic, and then the racism that you face on a daily basis. And France does not um, uh, keep statistics according to race or religion in the name of universalism and saying that every all Frenchisms are the same, so we're not going to. But then by doing so, we, we end up perpetuating this colorblind society that is, yeah, officially it's that, but on a daily basis, what is the reality of, of the of Muslim people when it comes to the way they move in French society? And more and more we've seen, as I said, we normalize, legitimize, mainstreamed far-right rhetoric. And I don't think at this point we, I don't even know how, how we're going to be able to um, to work against such a machine that's, that's already so far. And, and the average French person, the, the type of things I see on Twitter, all of my Muslim friends were just so 
blase and exhausted, if anything, you know, when so when it yeah. comes to trying to fight back when you don't even have the means to do so. And the few times when you have somebody uh, such as Yasel Wati, who's going to say something pertinent on a French uh, TV show, oh, you will never see him again. That is right. for sure. I'm just going to take one extra minute just to explain the depth or illustrate how Islamophobia is literally a killer in France. Immigrants in France, mostly from the post, from the former colonies, are three times more likely of being unemployed. If you are a Muslim person in France, you apply for a job, you have to apply five times more. If you are a Muslim woman with a headscarf, you stand a 1% chance of getting a job. 1% chance of getting a job. And the only jobs are self-employed nannies for the most, most of the time. And they are trying to ban that for Muslim women. In terms of housing, you are three times more likely of waiting over a year, 38 times to wait more than a year. So this is not only a social apartheid for the Muslim majority, but also a social death sentence for many Muslim women. So I forgot who spoke about uh, this uh, first. I think it was uh, Dr. Melissa Hafaf on uh, terrorism. This raises the question, how come foreign-based terrorist organizations can use France's social problems to hire from within France? And France, which is home to the biggest Muslim minority in the West, and on top of it has passed the greatest number of laws specifically targeting Muslims. So yes, now I think a better organizing of Muslims is overdue, long overdue, but I think there will be more clashes if Muslims you know, stand on their own and tell the state, back off, we will manage our own affairs and, de and, and designate or choose our leaders. But there will also be a fierce backlash by the, the countries who want to keep messages under control. Uh, Dr. Mary Fassois, there's a question about the French Minister of Education accusing Islamo-leftism leftism of spreading in universities. Uh, what is, what is he talking about and, and what are its repercussions? So yes, that's a, a reference to academics who indeed were corroborating through their research the realities of Muslims, Muslim lives and of inequality and discrimination and Islamophobia. And those people, in order to be discredited, were tarred with the term Islamogoshist, which is Islamo-leftist, but is very reminiscent of the term Judeo-Bolshevik, if you also remember the convenience use of that term to discredit uh, Jews during a particular period in history or those who supported um, the Jewish community. We have um, a multi-pronged, I would say, uh, authoritarian response by the government to try and discredit anyone who points out the inequalities that are being experienced and the unjust targeting of Muslims by the government. The uh, academic community through this particular uh, reference, but also through the fact that now uh, a law has been proposed that suggests that any research will have to be in conformity with Republican values. I uh, would hope that any uh, American who stands by his name would be outraged that uh, an academic community would have limitations placed on what they can and can't research based on what the state de defines to be acceptable values. In journalism, we have seen particularly foreign journalists who've written pieces, uh, but also uh, a French-Iranian scholar uh, who'd written pieces who were critical of the government. Those pieces taken down after Emmanuel Macron, President Macron had contacted these publications and those articles are suddenly replaced by op-eds by the man himself. 
there is a multi-pronged attempt to try and control the narrative around what is happening in France. And on that note, I just want to point out two things. One, when President Macron said he was going to give his speech on les séparatismes, which is was plural, the separatisms, the journalists in attendance that day were expecting a speech on various forms of separatism that are challenging French society. Many of them were shocked that it was just Muslims that were targeted in that particular speech. Secondly, I would like to really push back against this idea that Islam is the root cause of the terrorist attacks that we're seeing in France and the major threat uh, facing the French nation. Terrorism is horrific. I have friends personally connected to uh, who have been victims in some of these attacks. The reality is that 260 people have died in terrorist attacks since 2012 in France. 260 since 2012. Over 3,000 people die a year in road accidents. I just, can we put things into perspective a little bit in terms of the amount of state energy being directed to the idea that there is a uh, really violent and dangerous threat by an entire community. Firstly, let's put it into perspective in terms of the multiple threats that French citizens face, including COVID, but we can post that one for a minute. The idea that Islam and the wider Muslim community is the problem is not corroborated by any facts that I can find. The two most recent attackers, one was a Chechen refugee who uh, was completely disconnected from his community. The local mosque said they knew, had never met him, didn't know anything about him. And the second guy was a Tunisian immigrant who'd been in France for two weeks. When you look at the profiles of other people in other attacks, yes, there were French young men and some women who were raised and born in France. However, were they religious you know, uh, participants in their community who suddenly one day flipped from being, you know, an integral part of the Muslim community to joining ISIS. No, these tended to be people who had no religious background, who actually oftentimes knew nothing about Islam, and then suddenly were indoctrinated by a sect, a cult. Now, the idea that we as, as Muslims outside of France or in France would accept the official narrative that this is a problem with Islam with the wider Muslim community, show me the money. Where is the evidence of this? Otherwise, you're just chastising an entire community on grounds that you claim that there is a continuity between the terrorists and the wider community. How? On Based on what? We have seen no evidence of this. So we must reject this. This is not a question of, an, in my opinion, to do with Islam in France. Uh, Dr. Hafaf, uh, uh, another question to you. In a France that hates strong identities, what are the various manifestations of the French Muslim identity? And do any of these identities have more progress in the cause of government or cultural advocacy? I mean, again, I think, yeah, it does have clearly issues with uh, uh, stronger sort of subgroups. Uh, but, and, and this is the whole issue with France. And, and I think in a lot of places, when you talk about diversity and it's not an opinion to be had this society is actually composed of these people and france with this whole universal universalism versus multiculturalism which what we would see in other places it's still happening people are here they're not going to go anywhere we're here for we've been here for 
generations, in my case, my grandfather fought in World War I and ended up coming back to build France and then brought his wife and they had children and they all had, we are the fifth generation. <laughs> Until what point we are going to not, and our Islam was never incompatible with uh, the Republique when it went, when it was about using us to fight in wars or to, to do all the work uh, that needed to be done. So um, at this point, in, in that sense, I think we should be proud of, of our heritage. I, I really want to push back actually against that sort of colorblindness, trying to erase cultures. I mean, I yeah, and I think it's rich. It's absolutely rich to be coming from all these perspectives, how these languages, how these ways of looking at the world. Um, and if anything, I think most Muslim people in France, most Muslim French share the same experience of Islam as I do in terms of what it means to us and the values that it pushes. Uh, and all we do is hear all of these things that are so foreign. If anything, all of that sort of public discourse is uh, a lot of times completely disconnected. So in that sense, I do believe that um, uh, we can be, there's n actually just having even the question of this sort of compatibility is problematic because we've been here. We're French. There's nothing about it you can do. Uh, and yes, we come. And what does it mean? It means that French people can only come in one. Uh, it does. It's factually, historically wrong on so many levels. There's presence of Islam in France for over a thousand years. And here we are acting as if we just got here yesterday. So Thank you. And uh, Yasser Luati, if you could also you know, direct us or help us in terms of, you know, this question of dialogue, with whom should we be dialoguing? How can we, we raise awareness, understanding that there's this exclusion uh, in the media where Muslims are not speaking for themselves? I think I'm going to turn the criticism towards you, American Muslims is that uh, in 2017, I went all the way to the US to kind of try to connect the dots. And having been myself in school in Fort Worth, Texas, I knew that Americans, even Muslims themselves, tend to think that the world ends at the East and the West Coast, that there is nothing beyond. Now you see that everything that's happening in France ends up being picked up somehow in the US. The narrative, you know, how, the way it's constructed, and we see the opposite thing happening. So, you know, the concept of taqiyya being used in France, it actually came from the U.S. You know, the neocons were using against you guys in the U.S. And I think I'm a firm believer in dialogue and interreligious dialogue, etc. But I think Muslims should speak to themselves. And I think there aren't enough platforms, safe spaces to agree and disagree, allow a free fall of a free flow, excuse me, of ideas, and that. Honestly, I don't see many places where Muslims can, yes, agree, but also disagree and say, okay, this is where we disagree, we leave it there, and we, there's a lot more we, that we agree on. Because through dialogue, there will be a return of experiences. There will, there will, you create human counter that you know leads to solidarity. And honestly, I think we need to kind of have a transatlantic look on Islamophobia, because again, you know, we began with the idea that, you know, France is the laboratory of Islamophobia, the coal mine, the, the canary in the coal mine, and this is where the urgency lies more dialogue between Muslims and a lot more solidarity for, to move forward. Thank you. We, we know we're excluded and a lot of the anti-Muslim animus originated in the United States. Uh, this idea of the class of civilizations came out of Harvard uh, by Samuel Huntington. Oh, indeed. And Islam is a violent religion. Islam is a anti-Western religion. Islam is anti-woman. I mean, it, a lot of it came uh, probably from 
some Europeans, but it definitely took hold uh, within the neocon movement. Well, thank you so much. I, I, this has been very elucidating and uh, for, I think for all of us to get a, a closer view uh, on, on the situation uh, for French Muslims. I, you know, I, I'm saddened every day when I read about, uh, and I've been reading uh, about the situation since uh, even before 9-11. So definitely you're all correct that this, this predated uh, all these other political events and international events. Uh, and there is still that colonial mentality even in the US towards Islam. So that's something that we have to deconstruct and address and, um, and push back against definitely and replace it with something better for us and for, uh, for the rest of society, because I, I don't think people want to continue living in fear about a religion. Um, unfortunately, it is the easiest thing uh, to do. And Islam it has, be, has been that target uh, and continues to be so. But I think all of you are, are testimony to the fact that by speaking up and speaking out, uh, we can not only alleviate people's fears, but replace it with something much better. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PR Unmasked with me, Madassa Ahmed, by Unitas Communications. I hope you've learned something valuable with this episode. I certainly did. We will be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. Stay tuned.